Welcome to the 408th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with Emily Gray Tedrow, author of the new novel, The Talented Miss Farwell. Stay tuned for the interview. The Reading and Writing Podcast is brought to you by Libro FM. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 185,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, but you'll be part of a different story one that supports your local community and your local bookstore. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. You can listen during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. Here's your special offer from the Reading and Writing Podcast. Get two audiobooks for the price of one today with your first month of membership with the code RWPODCAST at checkout. This offer is only valid for new members in Canada and the U.S., Check out Libro.fm today. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Emily Gray Tedrow, author of the new novel, The Talented Miss Farwell. Emily's two previous novels have included Blue Stars and Commuters. Emily, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Great. If someone listening hasn't heard about your new novel, The Talented Miss Farwell yet, how would you describe the novel? Yeah, that's a good question. This is a, I would say, a crime novel, although it is literary fiction. It definitely uh, takes on the story of a con artist. So this is a female con artist um, who has a double life. During most of the time, she is Becky Farwell. She lives in a small town in rural Illinois, and she's beloved as the town's government treasurer. And yet sometimes she's known as Reba. And she is a high stakes contemporary art collector and goes around the world collecting art for her secret collection. And actually, sometimes she has needed to borrow funds from her small town government job to fund her high priced art collecting lifestyle. She does intend to pay it back, and she mostly does. Her deals are getting bigger, and as that happens, she really gets threatened by exposure. And so the story takes place over 20 years, actually, and follows the life of this woman who becomes a mastermind in financial crime as well as collecting contemporary art. It's actually based on a true story. And do you remember the original idea? Obviously you do, since you just said it was based on a, a true story, the, the idea or impetus that led you to write The Talented Miss Farwell? Yes. About, I want to say, six to seven years ago, news broke in the Illinois-Chicago region about a 
woman who had been discovered embezzling money over 20 years from a small town government. A similar story. She took $50 million without ever being caught for 20 years. And so it made headlines. It made some regional news here. And I was fascinated with that story. I stopped following the actual news so that I could create my own character and my own story. But I was totally captivated. And the inspiration for me was the idea of living this double life right in plain sight, right within your small town where everyone's known you forever to be creating that that crime and pulling it off for so long, not in hiding, but just living your regular life. That was definitely the original inspiration. You said you stopped reading a lot of about the actual crime. I'm curious, did you do any research into other em- famous embezzlement cases? Yeah, that is a good question. I it was tricky because I did want to preserve like the sort of space and the freedom for my own imagination. So, right, as I said, I didn't follow the the true life case really at all. But I did do research in terms of sort of white collar crime and financial crime and embezzling and mail fraud. I read some nonfiction books. I looked at the main stories that we know of, the, of course, several famous examples. And then I think I asked a lot of questions to people who were probably concerned when I said things like, okay, now if you wanted to embezzle money, what would you do exactly? And and so did you also do research into the contemporary art world? And is that something that you were familiar with before this novel? Yeah, I would say for me, that kind of research is more naturally just an interest I have. I definitely am not a collector, but I do love visual art. I guess I always am interested in seeing what's out there. I love to go to galleries and museums. And um, that world has interested me for a long time. I would say that I felt like for me, instead of research, that was drawing on an interest that I'd had for some time and had gathered knowledge about without really meaning to. So what are your earliest memories of writing fiction? Mm. Oh, gosh, that's a good question. I came to fiction writing a little bit later. I, I guess I would have called myself a reader for most of my life. And I was a passionate reader and always have been, always consuming books. But I had these writing adjacent professions. I was in publishing for a little bit as my first job. And then I went to graduate school for literature. So I was writing academic papers and teaching. And it was only towards the end of my graduate school career that I began writing short stories, um, mostly as a fun break from writing very technical, long, complicated academic essays. And I did that mostly as a way to just amuse myself. I didn't really show anyone for a long time. And then when I did start to publish short stories... I really fell in love with writing fiction and kind of changed my life a little bit. So that could be my main goal. Although, of course, I always do have a day job as well. And and what was the jump for you from, from writing those first short stories and getting them published and then writing and getting your first novel, Commuters, published? Yes, I would say that I was probably a natural novelist right from the start, even though I did start with short stories. The novel has always been my favorite art form. It's definitely my favorite thing to read. And when I was starting out with short stories, they were just pushing the bounds of what the typical length is for a story. I remember several editors telling me, we would love to publish this, but we don't have that much space. This is 
a lot before the pre-online literary magazines. And when I was naturally writing stories in the 20 and 30 page length realm, it was not that hard of a jump for me to start to conceive um, of a book length fiction. So that felt pretty comfortable making that move. And the first novel I wrote um, was the first one that ended up getting published, my novel Commuters. Yeah, as soon as I stepped into that activity, it felt very natural. And to be honest, I'm not sure if I've written many stories and I could count them on one hand since I started writing novels. And so I'm curious about your creative process when you are working on a novel. Is it the same for each novel? And do you do a lot of outlining or plotting before you begin? Or do you just dive into the story and the initial idea and see where it takes you? Yes, I do a lot of pre-writing before I start. And I would say that instead of outlining, it more takes the form of just brainstorming. I usually have a notebook, a project notebook that I'll kind of work on for maybe a year or two before I even officially start writing a text. And in that notebook, I'm just playing with ideas. I'm taking notes on things that seem interesting, finding my way into a character and into a plot. I use it as a scrapbook. I might draw maps. I might make lists. And to me, that is a really necessary building up of story. I like to feel like I've done a lot of that before I start writing. I don't really ever do an official outline. I may, I might, for example, make a list of 10, 10 sort of places I know the story needs to go and hold that in mind. But I definitely am not always sure what's going to happen as I'm writing the novel itself. And do you ever find yourself having to back up or throw away chapters as you're getting deeper into the novel? Yes, I would say that probably the way I feel like it goes is like... um... With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Like I launch myself out and I would say I try to hit the ground running and get get that first 80 to 100 pages down before I really go back and reread and take a look at what's going on. And that seems to be the place talking to like my students or to other writers about 100 pages in where it's typical to think, okay, I'm out in midair here. Where am I going? And and that might necessitate some going back, as you suggested. Maybe the plot took a wrong turn or there needed to be some adjustment in the conflict. Usually that's probably where the sort of middle of the action is happening. And maybe I haven't thought through enough how many sort of eventful situations need to happen for my main character. So that is a pretty tricky part, like being in the middle, I will say. And and given your experience now with your new novel being your third novel that's being published, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels? Yeah, for me, the thing I really hold on to that's gotten me through pretty much my entire writing career is the advice to to write the book that you want to read. I feel all of my authority as a writer really derives from my life in reading. And I have a very instinctual sense about novels. 
Sometimes I forget that though. And I might try to think my way through a problem. But when I'm writing and I get stuck, one of the things I try to do is return myself to my reading brain or my reading self and just ask myself, okay, if I were reading this novel, if I were reading this very chapter, this very page, what would I be hoping for? What would I want to see? Would I want to see an intensifying of the conflict? Would I want to see more of a quiet moment? Would I want to know what you know, is happening next? That kind of instinctive question and then the answer that follows usually always points me in the right direction. So I hope that might be helpful for somebody, especially since, of course, writers love to read. Just return yourself to your reading mind and see if that helps you find a good direction. And so have you started pondering or even working on another novel? I haven't. I want to because I think it's really, so The Talented Miss Farwell comes out this month. And in my experience, it's really a good idea to have a new thing to work on when your book's coming out to give you a break from this sort of vulnerable place you can be in when a book is publishing and very much out there. But I'm not, I haven't really taken my own advice there. I think it could have to do with, of course, everything that's going on in the world. There's a lot. And especially this month, my kids are going back to school, but remote learning. So that's taking up my main time right now. And to be honest, I have not gotten that sort of quiet headspace to figure out what's next. Well, what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Oh, gosh. I just finished a novel that, honestly, I feel like everyone needs to rush out and get. It's by the writer Margot Livesey. She's very well known. She is an incredible writer and novelist that I've loved for a long time. And her new novel is called The Boy in the Field. And it's just within five pages in. You're just in the hands of a master. The story is a gem. The writing is just impeccable. It draws you in. I was completely absorbed. And uh, yeah, so that's one. And then I also just finished the new Elena Ferrante novel called The Lying Life of Adults. And uh, I'm totally somebody who is, I got Ferrante fever. I'm all in. And this novel completely satisfied all my expectations, which were pretty high. So yeah, those have been the two that I've most uh, loved recently. That's great. Where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels? Oh, yeah. I would love to interact with people. I'm, I'm, I hang out on Twitter a lot, so you can find me there. I'm at, at E.G. Tedro. But I have to warn you that my other passion besides run, besides reading and books is running. I do a lot of tweeting about various, I don't know, track and field athletes and scandals. And, you know, of course, we don't have many meets these days. But you can mute me when I get on my track and field venting box there. But I also have a website. It's emilygraytedro.com. So there's more info about me and my books there. And uh, yeah. Great. And so you'll work on your running novel at some point? I know. It's funny. I, <laughs> I think I, I always think I should. Should I write about running? I have so much to say about it, but I don't know. There's so many good <laughs> novels out there. <laughs> sure. Again, we've been speaking with Emily Gray Tedrow, author of the new novel, The Talented Miss Farwell. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Emily, thanks for doing this interview. Thanks for having me, Jeff. This was really great. Now, stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audiobook of The Talented Miss Farwell by Emily Gray Tedrow, performed by Allison Ryan, available from Harper Audio, wherever audiobooks are sold. 14-year-old Becky Farwell lay on the truck horn with her forearm. Daddy, let's go! 
Engine running, she tilted the rear view to study her eye makeup. A wash of greens running dark to light, from her eyelashes to eyebrows. Greens, of course, because the magazine said all redheads had to, even indistinct blonde-red mixes like her own. What she really wanted was the set that gave you three kinds of purple, pale violet to dusky eggplant. Becky ran a quick calculation on how much she was owed by the four girls she did homework for, geometry and algebra, although she could stretch up to pre-calc too, even as a ninth grader. Though for pre-calc, all she could guarantee was a B, not that any of the girls complained. Sometimes she took payment in shoes, like the almost new tree torn she had on now, without socks because no one did. Becky flipped the mirror back with a snap. They needed cash too bad to daydream about makeup. Getting squeezed at all ends. One of her father's sayings that didn't make sense, but sure as hell got across how bad it was that spring. After another minute, she jumped down from the truck and went inside. Even though it was one of the first nice days in March, the front rooms of their farmhouse were dark and stuffy, closed in. Becky pushed up a window and propped it open with a can of beans. This morning, cereal bowls were tumbled milky white in the sink, and a thin, sticky layer of grease and dust filmed everything. But Becky had no time to wipe it up. In the family room, one patch of carpet stood out darker and new. Last week, her father had pawned the TV set, all her mother's jewelry. He thought all, Becky had hidden a few bits, and the blender. He wouldn't tell her how much he'd gotten. It's only temporary, but the crumpled receipt she'd found proved it was less than a hundred. Daddy, she called from the bottom of the stairs, then ran up lightly, bracelets jingling. We have to, have you not even showered? For there he was, her bear-like father, curled on his side in bed his silver hair mashed down low over his forehead, perspiration speckling his nose. Stomach flew, but there was no time for it. A buyer was driving in from Rockford, and her father was supposed to meet him at noon. You said just turn on the engine. Daddy, it's already... He groaned and threw a hand over his eyes. Show him the drills. The light track air seater. Make sure he sees that one. And the spreaders. Even if he says he don't, I can't. Becky looked wildly around the room. How am I supposed to? Tell him not the Masseys or any John Deere. You can walk him back by the two Vicons, he'll want those, but say no. Just drills, that's our deal. Give me an hour, most. I just need to, oh God. He bolted from bed to bathroom old terry cloth robe flying, and Becky fled before she could hear anything. On the highway, Becky knew exactly when and where to twirl the dials for music, sometimes switching from WXTV to WMMR and back again in the space of a single song. Why wouldn't they play anything other than Crystal Gale, for Christ's sake? Or Kenny Rogers? She kept both hands tight on the wheel and eyes locked on the road lines, never went a fraction over 45 miles per hour, not that their old truck wanted to. Nobody passing on I-50 gave a ninth grader a second look, but
but she knew what to do if she was pulled over. Start to cry right away, say that her boyfriend got dead drunk and she'd been scared and she was going straight home, swear to God, and she never would again. Officer promise. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.